Okay. Okay. So welcome to the hate show. <laughs> I'm Bot Tabula. And I'm Shannon Nix. Yay. I guess I should say my last name then. I'm Bot Tabula from Tombini. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> and we're talking about hate. And we wanted to start out with an intro that kind of explains why are we doing this? What has inspired us to decide to dedicate an entire show, podcast, to talking about hate. But it's it's broader than hate, really. Mm-hmm. It's about how do we talk about the things that really bother us, the things that scare us, the things that leave us feeling uh, a lot of passion or, you know, inspire a lot of passion for us. Uh, And we wanted to provide an opportunity for folks to be able to witness and to have modeled how to do that in a way that is healthy, in a way that is, that supports life, in a way that is loving even, and uh, that allows us to be able to share with each other our differences without going to war over them, basically. Yeah, Yeah. and also just, um, you know, when we don't understand things, does that put us at like a stop? Like how to push through not understanding something, you know? Because I was thinking about that this morning and about like that, hate often is a conviction and convictions can be good. Also, you can have positive convictions, but this, a conviction is kind of an unwillingness to move, um, to push forward or to budge, you know, and, um, you know, every month I try to pick a word that's kind of like my mantra for the, for the month. And, um, this month I picked the word will Hmm. and, Um, So I was thinking about how that applies in this context, which is a willingness to have this conversation, a willingness to be uncomfortable and how hate to me is really an unwillingness. Um, So I was just kind of thinking of that and, you know, and, and playing on, on what that, what that feels like. Um, And, and then also, I think I had mentioned that I really took hate out of my vocabulary for probably a little over 10 years now. And um, so also trying to sort of bring it back in a little bit now um, because it doesn't have weight the way it had when I could feel the weight of it. You know what I'm saying? Like now I feel like I'm ready to, that word doesn't mean anything to me. I don't feel hateful. Um, and so I can be very neutral in that way. And, um, so I welcome conversations about it because I don't feel afraid to hear the word or to talk to people who, who, um, might be experiencing hate on some level. Um, I, I'm genuinely interested in, um, what that looks like and, and, and where the root of it, where it comes from. Yeah. But what was it like when it had weight for you? You know, what does that mean when you say it had weight? You know, I think that I identified with um, the victim mentality 
And I think that I was afraid of, of the world and I was afraid of people. And so it was really easy for me to say, I hate, I hate people. I hate the world. Um, and I was thinking about that too, about how hate kind of like goes with trust because I had a lack of trust. And then I was thinking, cause you know, this morning I was in the shower going, but why? Okay. But why, <laughs> you know, like lack of trust. Okay. But why? Well, because I had a lack of faith. I had a lack of faith, but why? Well, because my faith had been broken by having been, I had been, you know, I'm going to say the word abused loosely, but like I had been harmed by people I knew in my family plus friends of family, plus strangers. So therefore everyone became unsafe to me and I didn't trust the world because everyone was against me in my mind. And so now that I have been working towards more of a healing um, vibration, if you will, um, that trust is a faith now like now i have a faith in humanity and i have a faith in in a higher um you know being you know i i don't i do believe in god and but it's you know we'll talk about that maybe in a whole nother that's like whole situation <laughs> um and you know just because of our foundation which we'll go into but um just how trust and faith to me, when I was feeling the weight of hatred or either that I hated others or they hated me, it was a lack of no trust, no faith. And that's what the difference is now of where I, I have this belief that everything will work out. I have this trust that everything's working in my favor. I have this faith, you know, like it's a, a whole different vibration. Um, so I can't wait to um, dive in more into like how how hatred affects vibration and how um, where it is on the scale of, of consciousness. Basically, um, I'm really fascinated by the brain and all those things. So, um, but yeah, the weight of hate um, is that unwillingness to move. I mean, it's it is. I guess also it ties into survival mechanisms. And so I'm also fascinated on with what our brains do and how our brains keep us alive and the survival mechanisms that we have to have in order to, to live. Um, and so, and to stay alive. And so when our trauma is kind of running our, our show, <laughs> you know, I think that that is, that's when the weight of hate is in the fort, you know, in it's, it's running you. It's, 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 it's leading all of your decisions or it's keeping you um, unwillingness to budge, to move. What about you? Like, what do you think? Yeah, no, what I, what I love about what you're saying and, and what deeply resonates with, with me and is helping me to answer that question about, you know, what, what does hate mean or, you know, beyond the effects of hate, which is what people really are paying attention to, 
know, what is the origin of it? Mm -hmm. And it seems from what, what you're saying and, and what resonates is that it's about a threat response. Right. It's a, a response. It's a fear response. It right? is. And it's a, a response to that which one perceives as threatening. Um, you know, it's harmful if you think about survival again, and I too am very fascinated mm -hmm. about how our limbic system, for example, operates mm -hmm. uh, and you know, within the entirety of the body, uh, because we are generally speaking, for the most part, wired for survival to stay alive, right? right? Exactly. The two prime uh, objectives or, you know, the prime rules for ourselves as biological beings are stay alive and make more, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so what yeah. threatens either of those things, but particularly staying alive, then is, uh, you know, does inspire this kind of, or can inspire this really acute response if one does not have a mindset of trust and right. faith um, mm -hmm. that, you know, everything is working out for me, for example. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I think, I'm just really, it's, it's great to have that framework right. for the conversations that we're planning to have, right. you know, because what we are looking to do is to have conversations with people who have ideas that are different from ours, mm -hmm. ideas that actually do give rise to a visceral reaction exactly. in both of us. You know, you know, I, I'm thinking about the people that we would love to have on the show mm -hmm. and how at the moment actually it's hard for me to listen to them, mm -hmm. you know, to hear their speeches and, and so forth. I find myself, you know, clenched up and right. yearning inside to you know, shout out my um, disagreement with what they're saying, my anger at what they're saying. And so this is a practice for both of us mm -hmm. and a practice that we would hope other folks would join us in, especially at this particular time. So Thank in you. terms of what has inspired us to do this now, uh, it, it, I am a person who talks to people for a living. Mm -hmm. And as a, a mediator, I'm an ombuds person, I'm a coach, and I spend most of my time working with people who are angry, who have had an experience that is deeply dissatisfying to them or scary to them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they're looking for ways to be able to respond to that situation, uh, especially with our power dynamics involved. Power is an enormous yeah. contributor Absolutely. to a lot of the issues that we're seeing. And so I wanted to have an opportunity to do this in a, on a more public scale. Mm -hmm. I tend to work one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one -on um, with, with folks. If I'm mediating, it might be a small group and it happens behind closed doors and it's confidential and so forth. And I thought it's really important to have opportunities for folks to be able to do this uh, on, on the on the outside, right? Mm -hmm. In a public forum, especially considering that, you know, it's January 6th um, mm -hmm. of uh, 2024. And I know generally speaking, you know, we don't want to name dates because we want our content to be evergreen. But I think that it is useful for us to acknowledge what the date is, our start date uh, mm -hmm. is, because, well, it's January 6th. <laughs> and, you know, last January 6th, uh, or was it two years ago? When was the, the um, attack on the Capitol? Oh, 
Yeah, would you look at? I don't know because I don't have a good relationship with time. Neither do I. <laughs> but I'm going to try to look it up. Um, oh, this is very interesting. I, yeah. Sixth United States Capitol attack was 2021. <laughs> so okay. um, it has been a couple of years. Okay. Right. Um, since mm -hmm. that happened, mm -hmm. and it was stunning. Mm -hmm. It was really stunning to see. I'm used to seeing stuff like that in other countries, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, not to inv invoke the stereotype, which I, I really, uh, it, it, it troubles me a lot. It bothers me that the, the stereotype of, of African countries is that it's one coup after another, right? Mm -hmm. But this looked like a coup. And I'm used to seeing them, you know, in in certain you know African countries, uh, or maybe even in South America. You know, you've seen governments that have turned over because, uh, you know, the military, for example, rose up and overthrew the government. Right. And here we had what ultimately turned out to at least appear to be. Uh, let me back up for a second. I recognize that there is temptation on all sides, you know, and, and, and I think of things on a spectrum rather than a binary, but there's a temptation to use definitions of things or to define things as, mm -hmm. um, or define things in ways that are beneficial to one's own argument, right? Mm -hmm. So I could say they were trying to overthrow the government. And the folks who participated uh, in the January 6th riot or insurrection or, you know, whatever it is that you want to call it, protest, they would call it a protest, would say that they were not looking to overthrow the government, but they were wanting to make sure that the correct government was installed. You know, so perspective is so important. Framing is exactly. so important, right? Exactly. Um, and one of the important things about being able to have civil conversations is being honest and being uh, generous, if you will, in giving credence to another person's framing. I agree. So somebody who participated in the January 6th event mm -hmm. <laughs> is going to define it perhaps a different way from the way that I might want to define it, right? So I want to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. But the point of the matter is that here we are, it is January 6th, 2024. Mm -hmm. We are coming up on another election. Yes, and whoever wins, uh, I can imagine that there will be a whole lot of people who are really unhappy mm -hmm. about that. And so we also want to think about what happens after mm -hmm. the next election. How do we continue as a nation mm -hmm. to live in community with each other under circumstances that could be so threatening or upsetting uh, unwanted for so many people. And then you have the people for whom whatever system is, 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 uh, you know, continues after or develops after for whom that system works really well. Right. And so, you know, they have a horse in the race in the sense of wanting to keep the status quo. Right. Right. So there's always this tension that happens in society. It's just, I think, at this moment in time, with the issues being what they are, and then the technology mm. being available as it is, mm -hmm. we are feeling that tension 
uh, more acutely and we're able to engage with each other more directly than we've ever been able to before. Mm -hmm. And so we want to contribute to helping folks to have the tools that allow that engagement to happen in a healthy, productive way. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad you said that about perspective because I do think that, I, um, I mean, as an artist, I think about the word perspective all the time. And I think even as an art teacher, I think about how, you know, if I, if I said, let's draw this cup and I put it on the table and I have a room of 20 students, I should, I should leave with 20 different versions of the cup. Because for you to see the cup exactly how I see the cup, not only do you have to be sitting exactly in my shoes and in my seat and look at it exactly from the same perspective, but you also have to have my experience of how I see the cup and how I view the cup. And so, you know, I used to use that as I would bring an apple to class and tell everyone to draw the apple. And I would tell the kids, you know, I should have 20 different apples like they none of them should look the same because no two perspectives are exactly the same and i think remembering that i mean as an artist i've always known even in my own trying to kind of going back to your very first question was like how do we talk about things that we either are afraid of or that we misunderstand um being an early artist i couldn't talk about it it was too layered. And I think that as an artist, I've always understood that perspective is layered. Life is layered. How I see things is very layered. And trauma is layered. And hate is layered. Um, and so that that is a perspective and understanding that um, I could only make pictures of things that I was afraid of. I could make pictures about the trauma that I felt or the hate or anger or fear I was experiencing. I could make pictures that could start to begin to, to show the layers. And I always felt like art was the only place that could kind of handle the intensity of me trying to figure out that push and pull, you know, of, of, those emotions that are like we're saying they're I always say that top shelf emotions I mean those are that that is what that is so um so yeah like learning how to talk about the layers and the pieces and again from an art perspective like you know taking away all the things to show what is you know um like a sculpture you know you're you're removing the pieces to actually show what's underneath. And um, I'm fascinated by that. I, I'm, I, I think that now when I hear people say things, I still do what you were saying earlier. Like I still have moments where the blood will surge down to my toes and I want to be like, Oh my God, no, um, I can't believe you said that blah, blah, blah. You know, but I also have come to more of a, um, there's just also this, piece of me when I'm listening to someone say something that sounds to me hateful in some way, um, I have this moment where I'm just looking at them thinking, wow, what, what has the world done to you that made you think this? Like, I want to know more. I want to know, yeah, what, 
what the world's done to you uh, and, and how you got here and how, how this has become your perspective. You know, I'm yeah. really curious about it. Like it's, yeah. uh, I'm genuinely interested and um, wanting to peel back all those layers, you know, to see what really is underneath. Um, I'm interested. Well, then it's it's a good thing that you're here because that's exactly what we're going to be doing. <laughs> right? High five. <laughs> um, and that is to look up, to look into, you know, into folks' layers, to understand folks' um multi-dimensionally rather than in one or two dimensions as often happens you know in in public media and, and and so forth we want to give an opportunity to really uh appreciate right and enjoy even the a, a person in their full complexity right right so you, very complex very <laughs> complex I'm, I'm looking around here because i'm looking for my notes and <laughs> hold on sorry oh um so yeah so so you mentioned that you're an artist and i think this might be a good time for us to talk a bit about who we are and, and why us uh, why is it that you and i are the ones having this conversation and hosting and facilitating these conversations um you know how is it that we got to be where we are and and we do have what i think of course you know um not biased or anything a really special story <laughs> that doesn't really happen that often i mean when i think about how long we've been friends for it's it is kind of extraordinary and, and a little breathtaking you know if you really fully consider it so yeah talk to me about you know who who are you i mean why i'm here well we could talk about why you're here too like, um, why am I passionate about this? Why are you passionate about this? But okay. I'm thinking a little bit biographical, a little bit, and, and perhaps weaving those things together. Okay, okay, got you. Okay. Um, okay. Well, I mean, are we going to say, so we've known each other since kindergarten. Yeah. Um, that's, I think that, that's fun. That, you know, um, and we've spoken a lot about this because we, we knew each other when we were first learning to know ourselves and it was at a very foundational time and so um there's a there's such a deep beauty in in that because as kids we just we're just us like i mean you know we didn't complicate things and and because we started so young as BFFs, like I do feel that then by the time life did get complicated, like in our teenage years, we had that foundation, even at an early age to kind of be navigating through what was tough conversations for us at that time. We weren't talking about these types of things, but we were talking about the normal tough things that teenagers go through, you know, uh, and we were figuring out our stories uh, together. And so it's no surprise that we're kind of still there. We're still um, talking about what's affecting us, you know, and, and, but because we have this foundation, I think it's, it is special. It is a very special, unique situation. And I've 
I, I have mentioned to you that like it did change my life, like having a friend with your experiences early on and, and, and hanging out with your family. Um, I, I had a different perspective uh, than if, if you weren't in that position, you know, like if, if that, if that wasn't the case. And so I, um, I'm really grateful to have, to have that perspective. You've definitely, um, you've been in a lot of rooms that you haven't actually physically been in with me over the years, even though, you know, we've, we live in separate States. I'm in California right now. And, um, I, New York, you're in New York, can't get further apart, basically. Yeah, and, um, and there's been a lot of tough conversations that I've been around. Hateful conversations, can we even say? Mm -hmm. And I would have that awareness, like if my best friend were in this room right now, it you would be hurting her, and mm -hmm. so therefore I cannot be in this room right now. And I had a unique perspective in that way um, that I am so grateful for. Um, you know, now I'm getting all teary eyed, but like, um, I'm really grateful. I, I um, yeah, it's powerful when you can come from that personal perspective. And um, even though, yeah, we come from different it's different, but the same. And because that foundation was so, so bred into us, um, it's, it's landed us to where we are now, you know? And, um, as, at, you know, I don't know, I feel like in the beginning of, yeah, I thought about a lot about this and I really, my personal story is that I was afraid. I, I have always said I've spent the first, the beginning of my life completely angry and afraid. Mm -hmm. And um, and art was the only place that could handle that, um, where I was learning how to navigate through it kind of alone and what felt like alone. And, um, and so I couldn't, I couldn't love, I couldn't love, I couldn't love other people. I couldn't love myself. I couldn't love. And I was too, too afraid. And so I think that when I was thinking about now, um, I don't hate too much now, you know, I, I, but I was thinking, what do you hate? Uh, cause like I said, I don't really use that word in my vocabulary anymore. Um, but one thing I do still kind of hate is um, I hate the feeling of being misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just one of, it's one of the feelings, if not the most feeling that shuts me down faster than any other feeling. Um, and so I align with people who feel or have felt misunderstood. And that puts me in this conversation very passionately. And also on that same topic, I was thinking about how being misunderstood is related to judgment and how I also, I hate feeling judged. And I also hate when I am in the state of judgment of someone else, because even that feels judgment, you know, like coming down on you. That's like 
you know, down with judgment. And, uh, and so that makes me very, um, that'll get my blood boiling. Um, but when I am, whether it's what I'm saying, how I look, what my art is doing, when people are judging and it'll just make me not want to have conversation anymore. And so I imagine a lot of people think like that, you know, like once that's the, when you're, you know, when you're in that kind of argument with someone and you're like, that's not what I'm saying. Well, never mind. Forget it. So you shut down. Yeah. Again, that becomes an unwillingness to budge. Mm -hmm. I've shut down. I've shut the door. We're done. And you can say whatever you want. You got nothing from me. Mm -hmm. And so that inspires me to be on the other side of it and help guide people. Um, and my mission, I guess, is to, I want to help build a bridge. I want to build a bridge between the human and the divine. Mm. That we can come together and we can um, be on the same path, you know, like I, you know, I really truly now in this stage of my life believe that we are all woven from the same cloth. Mm -hmm. And that we are more alike than we are different. Mm -hmm. And um, I really just desire to hold a safe space for new perspective. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, art, healing, and hope. Those are my jams. Art, healing, and hope. Yeah, those yeah. are my jams. So I want to be a part of those conversations um, because for me, art has been the transformative vehicle that has been able to help me transmute my pain and my hate and my anger and my fear and those lower vibration feelings that I feel like I started my life from. And now I really want to get into the higher vibes of, of love and understanding and peace and joy and enlightenment. You know, um, I, I, would really love it if people walk away from this podcast and these conversations um, with just the gentle feeling of, I never thought of it like that before. Mm. Uh, if we open those kind of doors and um, normalize having an open mind, then, then I'm all in. I love it. We, then we will have achieved what we have set forward to do, right? Exactly. So have exactly. looking to do. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's um, interesting to hear, interesting for me to hear you talk about, about yourself and who you were, uh, you know, earlier as a, as a child and in your development and so forth, because it really is absolutely true that art is your medium of, con of, uh, of, of communication. You've always, being an artist um you know I remember as you know kindergarten first grade actually my most vivid memory of recognizing that you are an artist and I am not <laughs> at least you know painting drawing you know that sort of thing that kind of visual art 
um, was in Mrs. Heller's class. I think it was fourth grade. Mm -hmm. And we were supposed to draw a cat. <laughs> and so hey. I'm sitting there struggling, struggling to draw this outline of a cat. It's one dimension. You know, I can't. I, and then I looked over and I saw your cat. <laughs> <laughs> and it jumped off the page. <laughs> <laughs>
um, you know, looking forward to continuing that with, with this podcast. I, you know, you've meant, you mentioned a couple of things, you alluded to a number of things and, you know, I'd like to sort of go back and, and peel back some layers uh, on that. Mm -hmm. um, one is, you know, you recognizing the differences in our backgrounds mm -hmm. and you're having awareness of mm -hmm. the significance of that and the impact of that. Mm -hmm. You know, my family, uh, we are immigrants from South Africa. Uh, we came to the United States just before I turned six years old. And it was the next year that, you know, we went to kindergarten and, and, and that we met, um, you know, coming from South Africa, apartheid being uh, a massive force in, in our lives. You know, it, it uh, controlled in many ways what we were able to do. Uh, we knew coming out of South Africa that we would probably never be able to go back, right? So that we had no assurance that apartheid would ever end. And so a great deal of my, my childhood, uh, up until I was 18, actually, was an assumption that we would never see our family again. Mm. And so, you know, there's coming out of apartheid South Africa to the United States that has its own, had its own form and has its own form of apartheid. As a matter of fact, South African apartheid was inspired in large part by the United States. One of the architects of South African apartheid actually visited the United States. And in some other podcast, we can talk, I guess, a little bit more in detail about what precisely it was about segregation in the United States and racism in the United States that inspired uh, apartheid in, in South Africa. But, um, you know, that, but that meant that I was always aware yeah. I was, I was always, so, you know, you talk about how as teenagers, we were having certain kinds of conversations, but there was lots of stuff that was going on um, way before that, Yeah. Um, that was present and resonant for me that I'm recognizing this wasn't necessarily present and resonant for you, although you would have been available to, you know, being, I guess, open to understanding that um, had I uh, communicated it. Mm -hmm. But there's a, a, a lot. So, for example, um, we used to play Girls Kiss the Boys. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Uh -huh. that, that <laughs> today it was terrible. Mm -hmm. It was terrible. Mm -hmm. So we chased the boys around the playground and we had this little wood cabin, <laughs> log cabin on the playground and we would drag them into the cabin and throw them up against the wall. This is first grade. Oh, throw them up against the wall and, and try to kiss them. And then we would try to have it boys chase the girls the next day, but they'd never chase us. Never. Uh -uh. <laughs> but, you know, as we were doing that, I guess because, you know, kids know things without necessarily being told, I always felt kind of weird about being involved in that because I'm coming out of a culture and into a culture that really had a strong taboo mm -hmm. about interracial relationships. Mm -hmm. And so even the, in the first grade, I was aware that there's something taboo about we were doing what we were doing. And there were no black boys in our class. Mm -hmm. You know, we did have quite a bit of diversity. We had, you know, um, I won't name the names, 
named. But I remember a boy from Pakistan and uh, you know, I think we and we had, you know, kids who were of Asian background. And of course, a lot of white kids, Filipino kids, uh -huh. right? Um, but no black kids that I remember. Oh, wait, there was one. Um, one. one. Yes. One boy for you. A picture. One boy. Oh, no, no, no. But that wasn't until third grade. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. But I do remember, um, I remember her name, too. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and one other little black girl in in our class mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you know we weren't too far out from the loving versus virginia decision and we still had really strong taboos about interracial dating and that was something that carried all the way through high school mm -hmm. totally. past graduation for me mm -hmm. right so i mean i don't you know I, i'm curious about your awareness I guess around that. I don't um, think I had much awareness until later looking back on that. Yeah. Like in the moment, I don't think I understood the struggle that you were internally going through when you had a crush on someone and then you couldn't, you didn't feel safe to mm -hmm. express the crush. Um, I mean, not even just to the crush, but even to your friends, like to us. I mean, I think that you felt that you weren't allowed to crush on on the white kids, you know, like you weren't allowed to, even though I was your best friend. So I kind of knew when you did, but like, you know, you would say, like, I mean, I so I think I did understand that there was some sort of barrier, but I don't think I understood fully. I probably still don't understand fully, but like, I don't even think, you know, I don't think that I understood how much you were repressing, I guess, um, of how you truly felt. Um, I do remember because we wrote songs, you know, you wrote songs and played them and I sung them and we, you, you, we sung them together. And um, you would, that was your art that you would put, where you would put your pains or you would write songs about my love life because that was safe. Um, and existed. And <laughs> I mean, it, yours existed, but yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, in, within your own self, like I do feel like there were times where you, yeah, you, you couldn't go forward with your feelings towards someone. And I did know that, but I don't know that I knew how that was affecting you, you know? Um, yeah. And it was more than theoretical, you know, my sister, um, had, you know, a little relationship. I should diminish it. I mean, you know, we should, I think, honor young people's feelings and so forth. Mm -hmm. But this was in high school, I believe. It wasn't junior high. It was high school. You know who, you know who the person is and you know who that person's mother was because that their mother was a teacher mm -hmm. um, at, at school. So, so after the podcast, I'll tell you who it was. But um, so, you know, this this boy liked my sister and my sister liked him. And, you know, they started having this little boyfriend-girlfriend kind of relationship. And I think next what we're going to do, I'm hoping, is talk a bit about our background that we share in common. Mm -hmm. um, and knowing that would explain why I... I 
There are lots of limitations on things, but whatever the case is, they were sweet on each other and it was obvious. Mm -hmm. And his mother broke them up. Mm -hmm. His mother made clear that it was not appropriate mm -hmm. for the two of them mm -hmm. to have a relationship because he's white, he was white and he is white. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, my sister's black. <laughs> so it wasn't just that um, I was insecure. No. Or that I was making it up. It no. actually was against the rules. It was an actual taboo. It, I mean, it felt that way. Like that, I mean, and I wasn't even new, but yeah, it felt like an unspoken rule. Mm -hmm. It did. I mean, I, I understood it even in the, I did understand that even in the moment. I did understand mm -hmm. when you would say, you know, like I have a crush on, you know, Anna, but it kind of just got that. It was just, it was just stayed in our conversation. Right. That's as far as it could go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think at some point we can have a conversation about uh, the impact of that mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how it continues to have uh, resonance, you know, today. Mm -hmm. right? So, for example, I, I talk about what happened with my sister and her boyfriend um, as though it were in the past, but I do know that to, even today... Mm -hmm. um, that still can be problematic. It's not as as problematic as it used to be, mm -hmm. of course. We've come, I think, quite a way in a relatively short period of time, mm -hmm. historical time, you know, mm -hmm. considering. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, this was that that was one of the things that um, shaped how you and I related to each other. Mm -hmm. strong with my mom, for example you know, again, coming out of apartheid South Africa where black people and white people absolutely did not have social connections with each other. And I mean, to to demonstrate how deep that was, uh, I took a year off between my junior and senior year in college and went and lived in South Africa to uh, do empirical research, right? My undergraduate degree is sociology. And so I took it really seriously and I literally took a year off and lived in South Africa in the town where my dad grew up in the house that he grew up in, uh, you know, to conduct research. And this was just after Nelson Mandela had been uh, elected president. It was the year after. Mm -hmm. So it was an, a phenomenal time to be in South Africa. But apartheid is over, right? Um, and it had been maybe just a year or two, just a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So I joined a gym that was in town. I was living in the township, which is where black people live. And, uh, and, and um, it town was where the white people were and where, you know, the bulk of the resources were. And so there was this gym and I joined the gym and I was the only black member of the gym. There was an Indian family that I was aware of that mm -hmm. also were members of the gym, but I think it was just us. Right. And everybody else was white. In my class, which was a, it was a step aerobics class that met at seven o'clock, you know, every morning, Monday through Friday. And we kind of got to know each other because mm -hmm. it was the same people every time. It was about 15 uh, women. One of these women was actually there from England. Her husband had been posted to uh, work at a company, a local company for something like eight months. And so she had come with him. And so his time was over. And they were getting ready to go back to England. 
So we decided we wanted to have a send off for her mm -hmm. after class. Mm -hmm. so the plan was that we would have class. And then after class, we would go to a cafe and, you know, share coffee and muffins and, you know, say bon voyage to mm -hmm. her. Mm -hmm. So after class, you know, we shower, change, get dressed, and we're getting ready to leave. And suddenly a dilemma <laughs> appeared. How was I going to get there? How was I going to get to the cafe? Because it wasn't in walking distance. Mm -hmm. We'd have to drive there. Together. Together. Mm -hmm. And Shannon, it was devastating. It was devastating um, to be made like, oh, what's the word for it? Like, you're dirty. You can't be in my car with me. You're inferior, right? And if I were to ride in the car, I would have had to ride in the back seat. Mm -hmm. You know, if a white person was in a car, the black person couldn't be in the front seat with them. You'd have to ride in the back seat. And the beautiful thing about it was that my aerobics instructor, who wasn't too much older than I was, um, I was in my early 20s, and and I think she might have been two or three years older than I, was not having it. Mm -hmm. She was not having it, mm -hmm. you know? So I could see that she was struggling on the one hand because the norms she had been raised with said that I couldn't sit in the car as her equal. I couldn't sit in the front seat. But she was not about to put me in the back. Mm -hmm. And so the two of us together... <laughs> trembling <laughs> got in the car together with me in the front seat and we drove there I saw her sitting there with her hands on the wheel and I went to her we're like we're doing this oh my gosh we're doing this right mm -hmm. um because she was afraid the 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 real consequences would have been for her mm -hmm. she was risking being shunned by her community mm -hmm. she was risking real punishment for violating that rule. So huge. Yeah, this is such a big thing right now. Mm -hmm. okay. mm -hmm. She mm -hmm. was brave. This was brave for her. Courage. Right. And I'm sitting in the car going, we're going to get like mobbed and they're right. going to haul me from the car right. and beat the life out of me. You know, it, was, it literally was scary right. for the two of us to do this very simple thing of sitting in a car together driving with me in the front seat and she's driving and you know we're we're going to have coffee right that was a revolutionary act mm -hmm. and so there are ways in which that energy mm -hmm. presents itself here in the united states still yes you know, we still have, you know, I was I was going to say sort of resonance of it, but it's, it's often stronger than just the echo. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it, you know, I, so, so us talking about our childhood, mm -hmm. you know, has me thinking about that. So the reason I, I told that story, you know, is to sort of give context to what I'm about to tell you next. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> because remember, my mother grew up in that. Okay? Right. White people, black people didn't touch white people. Right. You couldn't, you know, because you would, it was a, an insult. Right. Basically, right? So my mom says I came home from school one day. <laughs> And I said to her that um, <laughs> we'd been kissing boys. <laughs> um, that, you know, I don't know that I said that you had taught me or whatever. But, you know, <laughs> Always been a teacher. <laughs> you, you were sort of our our leader. <laughs> you know, Shannon and I. And we <laughs> I said to my mom. I like kissing boys, mommy. It's yummy. <laughs> Clearly I did my right? job. And my mom, poor thing, I'm kind of like throwing her under the bus here a little bit, but, you know, while she didn't react, uh, you know, except to be like, wow, okay, really, this is what's going on with you. Um, what was going on in her heart was she was terrified. She was scared of the potential negative repercussions mm -hmm. of me having that physicality. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know that that mm -hmm. kind of of um, casual right contact, not understanding the depth of it. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. um, and so there is that appreciation I have for my parents too of the tremendous work they had to do to adapt themselves to their children having experiences that violated norms they had been raised with mm -hmm. and allowing us to have those experiences, mm -hmm. you know, desiring for us to have a different experience, a different sense of self and self-concept mm -hmm. than they were raised with. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I want to, you know, give honor to my parents then, you know, for, for allowing that. But again, there's some stuff that was going on in our dynamic growing up mm -hmm. that was very present, you know, top of mind for me as we were having these experiences. Mm -hmm. And I, I never talked about them. Mm -hmm. Your hair, for example, and the fact that my hair could never do what your hair did. You know, when you and, and the other girls were crimping your hair, and I'm sitting there going, <laughs> right? Or we, you'd wear banana clips. And it was like, <laughs> you know, I, I had, a, for a long time, I had a jerry curl. So I kind of looked like, I, I laugh and say I look like Tito Jackson. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> um, so my hair being so different and also not conforming to the norm of what beauty mm -hmm. is, you know, and, and, and was how beauty was defined. So knowing that I could never be beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so sort of stepping back for myself and living vicariously mm -hmm. through you and the other girls, you know, that's really what it was. I think it's one of the reasons why I do the work that I do uh, as an observer, mm -hmm. the role that I tend to take on when I'm in social contexts is either as a teacher, like I'm doing right now, right? You know, I, I'm talking, I am talking a lot, but um, I also tend to sort of fade back, yeah, observe, particularly when it comes to people having intimate relationships, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it's the 
legacy. Yeah. You know, in our growing up. Yeah. Yeah. But so I'm curious now you got me thinking like just because on the topic of hate, mm -hmm. did you feel hateful like towards you? Like, I mean, did you, did you ever turn that like feeling like, Oh, I'm, I'm not able to fully have experiences that the people around me are having. Like, did you feel, was it, was it ever feeling hateful? Did you feel hatred? Either I felt frustrated. Other people frustrated. Yeah, that's. I felt frustrated. I felt bewildered. <laughs> yeah. Right, because I know who I am yeah. inside, mm -hmm. and then I hear what people say I am because of my phenotype. <laughs> you know, because of my you know, identity of my heritage of identity, mm -hmm. and they don't match. Right. And I feel, you know, I felt and at and, and times continue to feel, um, you know, really, uh, ugh, what's the word I'm looking for? Powerless mm -hmm. um, in some ways, because you talk about wanting to be seen for who you really are, you know, right. wanting to be understood. Mm -hmm. And the power of the, the, the symbol Mm -hmm. Right, of what I look like mm -hmm. is what it symbolizes. Mm -hmm. um, oh gosh, the sign, right? You know, if you're thinking in terms of um, how meaning is assigned, you know, and how how uh, there are you know symbols of meaning in in what something looks like, mm -hmm. right? So, for example, you know, the Coca-Cola sign, mm -hmm. you know, it has meaning, mm -hmm. and that meaning is expressed not just by the word, but by the look of it, mm -hmm. right? right? And so people see me and make assumptions about, you know, who I am and what my values are and how I spend my time. Uh, I can't tell you how many people, black and white, have tried to give me weed, for example. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, why? Why? Uh, and I kind of get why, you know? But it's, I have locks, yes. Does that have mean that I am into weed? No. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and so there is that. And, and, and it's shared. You know, as a white woman, I'm sure you too mm -hmm. are. Um, Girl, know. I come from Long Beach. You know, I've been offered it. <laughs> <laughs> right? But you're stereotyped, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 we all carry burden of the burdens of stereotype in one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And so the limitations of that stereotype have really chafed at me. So, no, I mean, it's one of the reasons why doing this podcast is, is so important to me, because I struggle to put myself in the shoes of someone who's feeling who's feeling hate toward mm -hmm. a group of people. Mm -hmm. and because, yes, despite all that I was experiencing, you know, and recognizing what I was being, um, uh, you know, prevented from, like, you know, kept from, mm -hmm. I never felt hate about it. I felt frustration and yeah. sadness yeah. and, you know, disempowered, but mm -hmm. and I don't like the word disempowered, but yeah, helpless. Mm 
-hmm. you know, to, to change it. And my response to that kind of thing generally has been sort of like the response I had to seeing you draw the cat. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, okay, I'm not going to thrive in that structure or in that environment. Mm -hmm. I find a different environment mm -hmm. where I will thrive. And I think, I don't know, I cannot help, like, I don't know if you're comfortable with sharing the meaning of your name, but I cannot, this seems like such a, I just feel like who you are and who you've always been is you're able to have this beautiful sense of humor that gets you through. And I know that a lot of people, you know, a lot of people can argue that those with a very good sense of humor, it comes from trauma, you know, mm -hmm. that's just another response to survive. Um, but I know from hanging out with you forever, like that, that, that rebellion to still find laughter and joy in life mm -hmm. is something like as an artist and just as a, my, as who I am as a personality and as a person, I like, it is so powerful that even in just who you are, it 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 deflects a lot of that, you know. Um, but I don't want to share what your name means. But can you no, share? No, I will share. I will share. My heart. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, uh, I was gifted. I, I have, have the most enormous blessing ever. And I tell people, be careful what you name your child. Exactly. Because words have resonance. Words, you know, have, have power. Exactly. And uh, for me, my, my family blessed me with an amazing weapon against despair and, um, you know, the, the challenges mm -hmm. uh, that, that present themselves uh, you know, due to uh, the ways in which people of my identity often are treated, right? Mm -hmm. So my first name is Batavide, and it is um, the prefix Ba means they. It's an Nguni word. I, I hesitate because Batavide is found in Sisutu, but also Zulu. I think it's one of the reasons uh, I got the name Batavida specifically. It came from my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, and he himself was an integrationist. Mm -hmm. Some people would say he was an assimilationist, mm -hmm. right? He was definitely anti-tribal. Mm -hmm. And so he gave me a name that is found in a number of languages in South Africa. You know, South Africa has, uh, I think it's 11 official languages. Mm. Right. So Batabile is is found uh, in you know, Sizulu, Sutu, um, Klosa. Um, and if I'm wrong <laughs> and anybody's listening, please feel welcome to uh, to correct me about that. But the prefix Ba means they. Tabile is are happy. They are happy. Right. And then my maternal grandmother gave me a name in Sisutu um, or well, Setswana. Um, which is Gitumetsi, and that is I am happy. So my first name was Batavile, they are happy, Gitumetsi, I am happy. Um, and then I have another middle name, and then, you know, there's my last name. But yes, I've got this. Um, so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so beautiful. I am happy, they are happy. Like it, 
it is so beautiful. Yeah. I think about it all of the time. Well, and it's, it is real. It is for real. Uh, I, it can, will have my moments of feeling despair Mm -hmm. or futility, but it always passes Mm -hmm. and I annoy myself with that positive. (laughs) But I mean, it is such a strength. It's such a power. Um, I mean, I can, I just time and time again, you laughed things off and not to say that that changes that they might've felt painful or landed on you, but like your ability to not sit in despair and to not even, I mean, now I think about it now, since we're both into like quantum physics and into like, you know, manifestation and that kind of thing. But like you were already doing that because you would not entertain those lower vibration emotions like you and again you you're human you would feel them but you didn't that's just you didn't gossip about it you didn't continue to talk about it you laughed and we were on to the next thing and you were on to the next thing you know and and i just it's it is that's a something that you've been able to actually like model i mean that like you know that's it's it's so beautiful i i literally you know recently i just got back from washington visiting my family and we were talking about the root of our names and i was saying that i wanted to change my middle name because my middle name was named after my grandmother my paternal grandmother and it has two definitions um it could be the star of the sea Okay, that's cool. I live in Long Beach. That sounds fun. But it also could mean a sea of bitterness, which I think is what more clearly feels like um, comes from my grandmother. And so I'd like to get rid of the sea of bitterness. <laughs> I'm like, I don't really need a sea of bitterness running through me. Thanks anyways. Um, and so I because my first name actually means like wise river. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like that. You know, it's about flow and and wisdom. Okay, I'll take that. But the sea of bitterness, no, I could I could lose that um, because I don't. I, yeah, I I do believe that words do have energy, and that's why we're here. You know, to 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 pull down those top shelf words and look at them and and look at them from all perspectives because. It has weight, it has merit, it has energy. So um, words are fascinating and also can push you one way or another. They can hurt, they can heal. Um, So it's fascinating to me. But I just, your name in particular, it just embodies who you are so well um, that I think about it all the time. Um, Wow. It's, I feel so honored. Awesome. <laughs> um, yes. And I didn't know that you were thinking about changing your name. Yeah. I had no idea that, you know, that was something that uh, is, is important to you right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would love to talk more about that. I'm putting a, a pin in that for a moment because yeah. I don't want to miss the chance to also give honor to well, you know, communities that tend to experience 
um, marginalization, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that tend to be, uh, you know, shunned and so forth mm-hmm. because what you're talking about that, you know, that sense of humor and being able to, uh, you know, dust it off and, and keep moving mm-hmm. is, is not unique to me. Um, you know, I think about uh, Jewish humor, for example, mm-hmm. um, or, uh, you know, black Twitter, black mm-hmm. Twitter is a thing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and when you look at, at black, it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. And it's hilarious about the most macabre things. Mm-hmm. And it has been, I think, necessary to the survival and to thriving, mm-hmm. you know, in the harshest of environments. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about Brewer Rabbit stories, for example, mm-hmm. and Tar Baby, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, those are stories that are, you know, Uncle Remus. Yeah. You know, these are, are stories that are redolent and resonant with what it means to be able to transmute the power of hate Mm -hmm. uh, and to neutralize it Mm -hmm. and, you know, to thrive, Mm -hmm. even, you know, within that, um, you know, surrounding that seems to be really horrible. Br'er Rabbit is, is, uh, you know, great example of that, you know, Br'er Rabbit, I'm going to throw you in a bear patch and Br'er Rabbit's like, ha, 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 go ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, Cause that's my home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good there. Mm-hmm. So I do want to give credit to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the variety of communities, LGBTQI mm-hmm. communities where there is a particular, you know, gay humor, for example, mm-hmm. right. That takes and makes fun of mm-hmm. that very thing that is set out to destroy you. Love it. That's powerful. It is powerful. It's mm-hmm. really powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think this also kind of does go into the idea of being willing to to look at look at fear, look at what's hurting you, look at what's scaring you, look at what's paining you, um, and the difference between being able to heal something like you have to look at it multiple times and sometimes very closely mm-hmm. um when you look away and deny it you're not giving it the space that it needs to heal like the attention and intention um and so um you know even with that humor on one hand it is kind of like a deflection but it's not a denial it's actually facing it. That's actually looking at it. Like you're saying, you know, like, like it's laughing in the face of it. And um, that is a very different thing because you are looking at it. And I think about this concept quite a bit in healing um, about being willing to look at our wounds, being willing to look at our trauma, being willing to even look at who or what has harmed us or those we love. Um, and the difference between, yeah, being able to actually engage enough to change it. Um, and you know, I personally, like I'm an artist, I always say I'm artist, not a nurse. Like I'm very squeamish about, um, about, you know, blood and things. I, I, I'm very, I, I, it'll, 
I can't handle it. And so when I have had wounds of any type, um, it's hard for me to look at it. And in there though is the answer, you know, I, I, I think of that, but I was thinking even of that this morning about like, you know, when I was in first grade, I was in a fatal car accident. And so I was eight years old and we went down, we, you know, we rolled down this hill and on the first roll, my great grandfather flew out of the car. And on the second roll, the car crushed him. And on the third roll, I flew out of the car. And um, I was thinking about that this morning too, because I was trying to really like go, when did I have, you know, that, that definitely three things happened for me that day of the car accident. Um, I also learned that I had, a sense of humor in the face of trauma and that my um, empathy and compassion for other people was almost greater than that for myself. Mm -hmm. um, because when we had gone over, you know, we'd rolled down this hill, this truck driver didn't see the accident, but saw the, the skid marks on the road because this was before cell phones. Mm -hmm. And so he pulled his truck over just to look to the side and saw our car down there and mm -hmm. thank God for him. And then he is who called the ambulance on his CB radio. Mm -hmm. And um, he checked on my grand, my great grandfather, he checked on me, he checked on my father, he, he, he got a blanket out of our car, laid it on the side of the road, and then carried me up to the side of the road. And I remember feeling like I wanted him to know that I was okay. Like I was just, it was really important for me that he knew that I was good. And I also remember, because I remember him looking at me, you know, with, like, you know, he's looking at a child that is bleeding and has glass in her body. And, um, and, and, and Shannon, if I can, if I can interject here, yeah, because I think it's important that people understand how bad it was. You have a cut cuts that go all the way up the side of, mm -hmm. of your body. Mm -hmm. Like all, and for years after that, mm -hmm. you had pieces of glass yeah, that, that would, would come out of your skin, like yeah, it would away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Out of your skin. Yeah. yeah so exactly. I just want people to understand the, you know, the the how um, poignant what you're about to say is. Yeah, and so, right? it, but I mean, obviously, I was in shock and that kind of thing too. But I remember laying on the little blanket and looking up at his worried face, and in my little eight year old self, I just. I just remember getting this dorky grin and I was like, I got a loose tooth. Because, you know, when you're like in first grade, having a loose tooth is a big deal. You know, you're going to get the tooth fairy. You're going to get a dollar. Like, it's a big deal. And I just remember even going out of my way to like be performative. You know, it was like, you know, like I was so gee whizzed about sharing with him that like, I got a loose tooth, you know, like, don't worry about me. Um, and so that was something I was like, oh, when I'm when I have had, it's also important for me to, to have a levity about, about these, these, this pain, you know? And then I also remember being extremely angry, um, mm -hmm. because they put a neck brace on me. I mean, clearly I was thrown out of a window. They should do that. But like, I remember being angry because I couldn't see what was going on. 
and they were working on my great grandfather and he ended up passing like 30 minutes after the accident, but they, in the ambulance, I have a very distinct memory of being like boiling mad because I couldn't look. And why did they put this thing on me? I didn't have a, I was fine. I didn't have a broken neck. And I remember being so mad. And, and so that kind of was interesting. And then I remember, I have a very distinct memory of the nurse as she was stitching me up and I've thought so much about this because this has to do with sort of like my trust and like truth. And she, you know, I think of her and how she was trying to stitch up a child and she knew that we had hundreds of stitches to do. And so every stitch she would say one more, one more. And I was angry. I remember going, why is she lying to me? Oh, wow. She knows we don't have one more. But that isn't even what she was trying to do. She was just saying, you did one. Now we just got one more. She was trying to step me through it going, okay, little girl, you just got one more to go. And then after this, one more. But in my little girl mind, I was like, she thinks I'm stupid. We don't, I don't have one more. I have an entire leg and side and you know, like that's not one more lady. And I remember feeling really mad that she was thought I was stupid and that she was lying to me. And, um, I didn't trust that, you know, it was like, I can't trust her. And which is a very bizarre, I mean, I don't, it, it's just weird that I have distinct mem memories of anger. Um, and so, the positive that came out of that accident is that that was when I was eight years old was the first time. And then from then on where my father would say, you survived for a reason, you have a great purpose. Mm -hmm. And he planted that seed for me and would tell me all the time. Um, because he had lost his grandpa and so, and his grandfather raised him. So that was a father figure for him. And it was a really big deal to lose him. And, um, he would say, you know, God spared you, you have a purpose, you're here for a reason. And having that implemented early on in your life does change how you feel about what you're going to do on this earth and, and that you're going to do something that's important. Um, and so I really walked away. I limped away. <laughs> I really limped away with that feeling though, that I am here for a bigger purpose and that there's a reason why I survived. And there's a reason why I went through that. And um, but that is also, that is also probably the day that I really did become unsafe in my body. My body itself felt a lot of unsafeness, um, whether I was sitting in cars in the future, even now I get, you know, I'm, I'm not like a crazy, like I'm not super anxious in a car, but I definitely, um, there are times when, you know, you're just. I, 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 I drive a little more, you know, defensively, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, that's, I, there's an, there's a, I can recognize that that was a pinpointing moment to feeling unsafe. And um, so it's just interesting. I just, I feel like that, 
I think like when you were talking about me drawing the cat in first grade, I was thinking like, or whatever, you know, I was, or maybe fourth grade. It was, yeah. Yeah, fourth grade. Fourth. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but, but even the accident, one of the first things that I, as an artist drew was I illustrated the accident. Be, be, and my dad still has it. And um, I just did it on like, you know, a little kid paper, but I drew all of it all the way down to my great grandmother's funeral with the flag over his funeral. And I was in first grade. I was the summer after first grade actually. Um, but so even early on, I was using art to be able to tell the story of my pain because I couldn't talk about it. I was having flashbacks. That's also like when I realized that I have like a visual kind of slideshow memory um, and that I would, I could just see the pictures in my head over and over and over. And, um, and I didn't know that that would later serve me in my practice as an artist, but um, it just interesting becoming, you know, like you're saying, like about things we didn't know about ourselves at that age that really got us to where we are now. Um, you know, and I, and I, um, I don't know. I, I think about, I just think about all of that. I think about why everything happens for a reason, you know, and, and, and how, yeah, why am I here? Like what, you know, what, I think that that ties into why I'm in this very conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I, I stand for, for people who, who don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. Um, whatever that looks like. And um, uh, so anyways, um, I just well, wanted to throw that in there. Well, you know, I think you have beautifully um, explained, if you will, or, or presented what the central meaning of this podcast is, mm -hmm. is to you know, provide a platform, you say safe space, I, I actually tend to prefer, prefer brave space, I don't know that we can guarantee safety, mm -hmm. um, we intend for there to be safety with it that that encourages folks to be brave. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it we are curious about getting into the depth of what brought you to this place, right? what has brought you to be the person who you are now and to believe the things that you are to believe now and to espouse what you believe now and, and desire what you believe now. Exactly. Uh, and so that's what I look forward to us doing uh, as we go forward with this podcast. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, for a couple of reasons, we're going to need to bring this um, conversation to a close. One is, um, I hope that it's been interesting for folks who are listening. And we've gone on for a little while. <laughs> we have. Right. <laughs> the second is, my laptop is not plugged in. And I know. I just had to get my little cord myself. I was like, oh. <laughs> um, And then the third is, I'm on the East Coast. I'm three hours ahead of you, and the sun is about to set. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's four o'clock, and we're going to be in darkness um, in just a little bit. And I'm looking as like you can barely see me as it is. Like, closer, closer to the window, because uh, you know I'm just using natural sunlight here um, to, uh, you know. And I was like looking there. I was like, yeah, pretty dark. <laughs> Which is a beautiful thing for me. I've always loved, you know, for example, people from Sudan for who mm -hmm. that's gorgeous, gorgeous very deep, dark skin, mm -hmm. um, which doesn't crack. Yeah. 
I, I'm enjoying that, but we also are going to be uh, in, a, in a few moments in a place where the technology is going to decide for us that it's over. <laughs> so I really look forward to our, our next conversation. I look forward when we to when we start bringing on guests uh, and, you know, can have those conversations with them. There's so, so much more to talk about. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I thank you for joining me in you know joining our forces as we have done throughout our lives yes, to you. to create beauty mm -hmm. uh, even from that which might seem to be uh difficult and ugly and uh and sad right mm -hmm. um, but you know we want to let the sunshine in exactly. uh, you know to all of that on top of that and going back to just even that word will mm -hmm. um you know at as an artist, I always, you know, we always talk about work in progress. We're a work in progress and, you know, hashtag WIP, don't judge me yet because I'm not, this piece is not finished. It's a work in progress. But I have really liked to flip that on its ass a little bit. And um, I like more of the acronym willingly, I progress. So my WIP, my work in progress is that willingly I progress because there is no progress if we don't progress, you know, I mean, like that is, we have to be willing. And I, that just kind of takes us back to where we began here. We have to be willing to have these conversations to progress. Absolutely. So absolutely. WIP. Yeah. WIP. <laughs> Indeed. Shannon, thank you so yeah, much. Thank you. I love yes, you. Yes, yes. Yeah, you. My, I have proven to myself why I should not wear nail polish. This is awesome. <laughs> <But> anyway. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, until next time. Until next time. Until next time. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. <laughs>